You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you inspiration and resources to help you discover and live from your truest self. Follow along on social media at Collected Workshops, and be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and to learn more. The Collected Podcast is brought to you by the Gebhardt Sleep Group at Baird Financial, delivering personalized financial advice that helps clients reach their long-term goals. Visit gebhardtsleepgroup.com or see our show notes for links and to learn more. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 9 of The Collected Podcast. I'm Jess Biondo. I'm Michaela Hooper. And I'm Tia McNelly. This week, we have a really powerful interview by a woman named Emily Ratliff, and she is the founder of Claire's Army, which she's going to share um, all about with you. And um, just everything she says is so powerful. So we just want to get right into it uh, because this one does go a little bit long, but it is worth every minute. Hey, Emily, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. We are so excited. I have been all over your website uh, for your nonprofit, Claire's Army, and I just can't wait to hear more about what you do and the heart behind it and how you really started this. You got it. I'm flattered and honored that um, we're connected and, and any chance I have to kind of share Claire's story and our family story and what we're doing is um, is just it's a blessing, I, I feel. Mm. We're grateful that um, you're here, Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so a little bit about Claire's Army, right? Yeah, that'd um, be great. And how we got started. So, um, I'll, I'll probably talk a little more about my family in a few minutes. But Claire's Army is um, a nonprofit. It's a charity organization that we officially launched in the fall um, of 2013 in honor memory of our daughter Claire Ratliff, who. She was diagnosed with stage four um, high-risk neuroblastoma in May of 2011, and she was in treatment for um, only nine months. We did not even really get through her treatment plan um, as her tumor and cancer was so aggressive, and she passed away at the tender age of just over two years um, Mm. and four months in January of 2012, and so um, she is really the the person behind this, um, really still leading us. Um, when she was diagnosed, our family just received abundant and overwhelming support. I mean, I've used those words so many times to try and describe um, how people reached out and supported our family. Um, and really, you know, every single time I look back in hindsight, I'm just still so thankful Um for the ways that people took action and supported our family. And I can tell you that the first year and a half, two years of our grief, I would have, I couldn't name a single blessing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah sure. Because you're just in, um, you're still in shock. You are um, just overcome with all the different phases of grief. And it's not a linear thing. They come out of nowhere, all the different phases and, and some of them come back and, and you're kind of swimming in and out of those phases at all times. But um, as I look back, and even as we did realize while we were in treatment, because we could look and see the halls of patients who didn't have family stopping by to check on them or who didn't have friends and strangers who started a meal train or who didn't have an employer who graciously said, you will not lose your job, you'll keep your benefits. And um, and to my husband, you will not lose your job and you will not have to travel, even though that's 
a core part of your job. Um, we realized we were kind of the anomaly with people that just extend that really overextended on our behalf. And at the time we, you know, we had no clue what, um, what the plan was. And, um, I think this is true of all cancer, but specifically with, with children, you're given kind of a prognosis and a plan and, but, um, Every day is different, and that plan can change at any moment. And um, while we had a treatment plan and kind of followed it, um, we, we completely went off the roadmap after a few months. And um, even when we were told on January 5th of 2012 that um, her, tum- her tumor and her cancer had kind of just morphed and changed path, and while we thought we were going to the next phase of treatment, we learned that she probably had less than a year um, we had, we had two weeks Wow! and you know, the doctors, I'll never forget one of them, one of her mm. oncologists telling me that sometimes I feel like I could better predict a lightning strike mm. than how this disease will, um, will change and take a child. And so, um, mm. in hindsight, <laughs> we realized that, you know, all these people, um, and our, our God put them in our lives so that we could really be fully present with Claire through every moment of her treatment um, in the hospital, on the road, at home, at clinic visits. Um, it just really allowed us to focus and be with her because we, we didn't know that at nine months she wouldn't even be here. Mm. And I cannot, neither one of us can still fathom that if we had had to, um, you know, Kevin traveled 20 plus weekends a year and I wow. managed multiple departments at the Y and had wow. staff and events and all kinds of things to supervise that I can't imagine where we would be if I had missed out on all of those moments with her and, um, and she was gone. And wow. so while that took years to really be able to say out loud, mm-hmm. um, I'm just, I'm thankful because we do have memories and I, I, I don't know where we would be if we had, had to, um, you know, be at work and had other people caring for her or had really had to divide our time sure. um, as a family. Wow. So um, that's kind of a, a really, really long way to answer to, um, to start it out. But essentially yeah, what we are trying to do with Claire's Army is give others an, the, the army that they may not have. Wow. Uh, we learned, we did a lot of counseling and we still do at Kindermorn. Um, a nonprofit here in Charlotte, which specifically focuses on um, parents who've lost children and also children who have lost parents. And um, we learned that, you know, there are so many folks who come to Charlotte to work and all of a sudden their child is diagnosed and, you know, they Mm -hmm. don't, they don't have all this extended family here and they don't have PTO and all these other benefits in place. And so, um, you know, we just assume we were like everyone that, you know, the halls are going to be filled with all your friends and family and doing all these things for you. And and that's just not the case. And so we really took about um, I mean, a year and a half to kind of just grieve and um, and spend time in counseling and focus on our marriage and just trying to be whole again. Um, and I'll admit during that time, church and faith just looked a whole lot whole lot of different yeah um we were very active members at forest hill church and we're you know part of a life group which is a huge um support system we had during treatment but um every time that i tried to go back to church um we were minutes in and i would just 
run out crying. And the last mm-hmm. thing I want to do is make a scene um, at our church and, and make it not be about what it should be about. And mm-hmm. so um, I, you know, stayed in touch with one of my counselors from Forest Hill and David Chadwick is still very close to their family. And mm-hmm. they just kept saying, you know what, like you, you will find whether it's a different church, but you need to make sure you keep truth in front of you because it is, is going to be so easy to, um, yeah. to fall prey to believing something different yeah. with what you've been through, especially after, I mean, the, the multitude of people we had praying for Claire, the multitude of people that followed us through Caring Bridge from mm-hmm. all, I mean, all over the world we could see and people praying specific prayers and, um, you know, reaching out and, you know, you think, oh my God, how could anything happen? You know, mm-hmm. how could anything awful happen? We've got, we've got prayers and, and, and David Chadwick and Forrest Hill and the body of this church on our side. Like, there's no way God would let anything happen to this sweet two-year-old child, mm. you know? Um, but, you know, that, that, that wasn't what happened. Yeah. And yeah. so it just, I wrestled so hard with, you know, the old saying, like, how could a good God do this? And how could he, you know, why didn't we get a miracle? You know, I mean, and so um, for many months, we just continued to stay in touch with our counselors in Forest Hill and um, and with Kindermorn and just, like I said, focused on our marriage and each other and really just getting up every day and, and, and functioning as humans again. And through that process, we we realized that, you know, we have this army of people that helped us and how can we re-engage them? Cause they were ready to do something else. Like they wanted to do so much more for our family. So we thought, how can we empower these folks in our community to, to basically create an official army for all these, you know, pediatric oncology families here in Charlotte. And so that's kind of how it started is just really doing unto others what folks did for us. We wow. had people who, um, they brought us, you know, meals. We had dinners from home. We had dinners from restaurants that were brought to us, you know, anywhere between four to five nights a week, whether we were in the hospital or whether we were at home, which removed a huge burden. I mean, who wouldn't love to just have a hot, <laughs> hot free meal brought to them every <laughs> right. night, regardless of being in the hospital. And, um, and that really allowed us to focus on Claire and, and have some options for dinner as well. And then, um, we had folks, especially from the Y, they started like this giant gift card tree and it was really made up of gift cards for like gas and grocery and restaurants because, you know, when all of a sudden you're traveling for treatment yeah. or you're going to the grocery store more than you had originally planned, that affects your budget. And so those really alleviated some financial stressors. And then the other thing that, you know, again, we were lucky that we had employers that were so supportive, but I thought, what if, like, what if we had lost our jobs. How do we pay our mortgage? Like, how are we paying? Like, are we going to sell our condo and move into my parents? And, and still Mm -hmm. like who, you know, who's, and so, um, and we, we met families that had that happen. We met families whose dad lost their job and they were the sole provider. Yeah. And so all this is just ringing true. We thought, gosh, how can we really just mobilize this army? And so that was really the concept behind it. And really, the person behind it was Claire because she was always so concerned about everyone else. I mean, Aww. even as a two-year-old, you know, we'd be in the room and and she knew how much I loved my coffee, but I'd make it in the morning in the hospital and then someone would come in and have a conversation and she would be like, mommy, don't drink your coffee, drink your coffee, <laughs> you know, and when people brought... When people brought a meal, she, you know, she'd be engrossed in watching a movie or something, but she'd look over and say, mommy, you need to eat dinner, eat your dinner. You know, and and she would even see when, and I I reference Miss Pat all the time, but she was the kind of the the primary um, 
person from environmental services at the hospital who would come in and clean our room, you know, just mop the floors and clean the bathrooms at night on the Pete's floor. And she, she loved Miss Pat and granted Claire someday she couldn't get out of her crib, but she would offer to this, you know, 50 year old plus woman. She would say, I want to help you, Miss Pat. I want to help you clean the toilets. She knew Miss Pat did not like the toilets. That was her least favorite thing. (laughs) And And I'm thinking, you know, Claire's watched me clean, but she's, we've never talked about this. So she just had this natural bend to just this empathy and she could look at you and a stranger would come in the room and she could tell something was wrong and she'd say, what's wrong with you? (laughs) And some of those people would look at her like, I don't understand why you're asking me this. I'm like, no, she's serious. She wants to know if you're okay. And so we just kind of paired those two, um, those two ideas together, just unconditional love and, and doing unto others. And we Mm -hmm. said, you know, how can we form this army? And it started very slowly and, um, and we wanted to start it where Claire was treated and, and, really help those families at Hemby Children's and it's it's grown from there. It's um, incredible. Wow. So really. we have multiple programs running at both hospitals. I could keep going on and on. Um, I don't know how much you want me to talk about, but that's you know, that's, that's kind of the the foundation of it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And and we will definitely link to that so that people can can learn as much as they possibly can online and get in touch with you as well. Sure. Um, I do have a question though. I keep thinking about how kind of like sneaky grief can be. Mm-hmm. And even after all these years and, um, you know, turning a rotten bunch of lemons into something, something kind of like lemonade that you can, mm-hmm. you can bless people with, you know, how, how do you handle it? How do you tend to your heart, mind, body, and spirit when, oh, when grief decides it wants mm-hmm. to, sh- to show up? That's, that's such a weird question. I'll, I'll answer it kind of, it'll be all over the place because <laughs> like you said, it changes, you know, it's yeah. changed from year to year. So when Claire died, we didn't have any other children at the time. And so I know parents who had surviving siblings and they lost their child and some that didn't, and there's not, there's not mm-hmm. one better option. Right. Yeah. But Um, it was so still and so quiet. You know, we went from being like super parents to not parents, Mm. you know, like not just doing the basic parenting or just being a good, like, but we went from being like, you know, pseudo doctors, pseudo nurses onto appointments, following a treatment plan, traveling, making sure she had everything she needs, like to, and it, it didn't even happen slowly. Like she was then the night she passed away, she was quote fine. And then she wasn't. So it's like, yeah. it wow. was a, it was a drastic, I mean, on January 16th, we're in the hospital and it, you know, functioning like normal and what's the next thing to do. And January 17th at 2.30, we're driving home. My parents are driving us to our, our empty house. Oh gosh. And so um, the grief has just looked so different. How we've cared for ourselves has been so different over the years. But I mean, I would say the first like year it was just clinging to um counseling at Kindermorn. I mean it was literally a lifeline. Yeah. Um because I thought, okay, these parents have been here. Um they don't have it figured either, but it was just like, can I get to the next session? Mm-hmm. Because maybe there'll be something I can cling to because I won't feel so alone. Because you do feel so alone. And um I work for the Y and um, the why my wife family, my staff, my members were so supportive and honestly exercise was such a huge part of it. Like running 
was like my time to be with her. Um, I don't know. I, I know I read this somewhere at one point, but there's something with like your hormones or your endorphins where you can't physically be like um, deeply sad and um, like have a like the exercise high at the mm-hmm. same time. Yeah. And I'm sure there's something way more scientific than what I just described, but I remember sharing that and I, mm-hmm. cause I'd read it with my counseling group and I can remember that running was like one of the, one of the only times in the beginning that I didn't cry and sob because I could kind of experience this feeling again. It was like my time to be alone with her and I felt like she was with me. Yeah. Um, and so it was a lot of that and counseling like at first and just having those handful of people you could talk to, um, because it's just so big and most people haven't gone through this and doesn't mean they don't care, but it's just, I'm sorry, talking to you about losing my daughter is nothing like you losing your grandmother. No. So, yeah. um, it's not. So this first couple of years are really hard because I think there's a lot of people who want to be there for you. They don't know how, Yeah. but then being the person grieving, it's also so hard because you're like, I don't want, I don't want to make this person feel bad by sharing this darkness. Yeah. And so then it's just like, it's just like navigating these different waves of thoughts and feelings when you also learn in kinder one, like you can't, you can't worry about those other people and like how they feel at that moment. You just can't, it's, you don't have enough in you to, to, to even process right. that. Yeah. 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 Um, and I remember my counselor kind of explained one time that grief is almost like, you know, that processor that's in the back of your computer that none of us see, but we know it's running and it's always running. Like it never stops. It's always going. And like, that's grief. It's always there. It never stops. It's going to be with you till the day you, you leave this place. Right. And so some days it'll, it'll be pulling more of you and some days it'll be pulling less. And so you just have to be aware of it. Yeah. Um, so let's, I mean, I'd say just having very special people in our lives who, um, God placed here. And interestingly, I mean, those first couple of years, a lot of them are Claire's nurses. Um, wow. we became very close with a handful of them and they, especially after she died, really became, um, like our closest friends because they knew what we'd been through. Yeah. And honestly, what's crazy is they were the only ones who got to experience Claire and kind of grow up with her for that nine months. Yeah. You know, our life stopped. Our toddler life with our life group, seeing our friends, that ended when she was diagnosed because she couldn't do those things. Yeah. So no more like, you know, playing with the neighbor across the street or whatever. And so um, her best friends became our providers and her yeah. nurses and child life specialists. So we had a handful who just happened to live close by. wouldn't even know it at the time. And um, they just, they stopped in, they had dinner. I mean, one of them, um, Jesse, we probably, she was probably at our house three to five nights of the week. Wow. Um, either having dinner, just sitting with us, just watching the movie, just being with us. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that was another phase where it was just clinging on to those relationships of people who saw you go through what you went through and who really knew Claire like no one else did. Yeah. Um, and so that that was a huge part of our healing and um, just kind of getting to that next step. And mm-hmm. then along the way, um, we got pregnant with my daughter, Sydney, who's six now. And that kind of, that was probably the first time I felt joy again. 
um, after losing Claire. So it took a few years, obviously. But um, I remember the moment she was born, like it rushed over me. And I was so thankful to God because mm-hmm. I didn't know I could feel that again. Wow. I had no idea I could feel that again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was instant, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that was such a... Um, like a beacon of hope, not that it should be on this, so much pressure on this child, but it just, um, it was just such a physical and, and tangible reminder of, um, of hope yeah. and of grace and of, um, just because you can't even think about the future after what we've been through. And mm, so, right. um, her, her coming into this world, Sydney, um, really just it, it changed things but at the same time it brought a whole new like you said it was so sneaky because mm-hmm. here this beautiful do- child is being born and she's never gonna know her sister right yeah. and her sister who would have been um four years old when she was born wasn't there yeah mm. and so then there's all those thoughts and i mean yeah. rabbit hole i could go down but yeah. Um, but it's just like you said, it, it just, it just evolves. It's the mm-hmm. only way to describe it. It just evolves day to day. And I remember you know, other parents and counselors saying that, you know, you'll, you'll learn that the grief's always there, but you'll have like your ups and downs will be different. Some of your ups will be longer and some of your downs will be shorter. Um, you know, you'll learn kind of little I hate to use the word trigger, but just things to kind of, that will trigger you and just to kind of you know, be more careful around certain times of the year, certain milestones, whatnot. Um, but I think such a huge part of healing was um, also just being at the hospital. I actually left my job in at the Y in the spring of 2013, so just a little over a year after Claire died because I thought, you know, um, I want to change, and all I could think about was being in the hospital. And um I thought I was going to be a nurse, so I applied to go back to school, and that's when I found out I was pregnant with Sydney, and I thought, okay, there's no way I could have a, <laughs> a newborn. I know people do it every day, but I knew I couldn't mentally and go back to school, but there happened to be an opening for a nurse assistant on the same floor where Claire was treated, and it was exactly what I needed um, and where God wanted me because it was um, – I was able to take a course over a number of weeks and get certified, and be able to do kind of minimum, like minimally um, challenging, like task work. Um, it wasn't mm-hmm. managing people. It wasn't looking at huge right. budgets and having goals. It, but it was so therapeutic and so rewarding to just feel, be on the other side yeah. and to lock arms with those nurses and doctors and be on the floor and um, and just. I felt like Claire was with me every single day. I got on that elevator and went up there. Wow. And other moms were like, you are nutso. Like, you are crazy. I don't ever want to go back there. And I was like, I can't explain it, but yeah, every door is open for me to be here. And so wow. I'm going with it. That's wow. incredible. You know? so are you still working so as a great, nurse assistant so that now? Was in, um, so I'm not because while um, – while I started that process and um, was pregnant with Sydney was when kind of this, the fire, you know, really got burning more for Claire's army. And so I worked full time as a nurse assistant while I was 
pregnant, didn't have a child yet while we were kind of launching Claire's Army. And then once Sydney was born, um, I stayed on and worked about 30 hours a week at the hospital while simultaneously launching Claire's Army on the, in my free time. And so um, eventually, free time. that's cute. Right, right, yeah. I know. Um, but because of the growth and the, uh, I hate to use the word success, but just because of the impact of the work that we were doing and the belief this community had in Claire's Army, it just grew to a point where it was not something I could manage part-time on the side anymore. I mean, we had three programs running and, you know, multiple fundraising events and all these donors to thank and keep up with and volunteers to manage. And so in, it should have been a lot sooner, but in July of 2018 is when I made the transition to become full-time executive director of Claire's Army. So where I could focus all of my time on this and, and step away from the hospital. So I was, I'm still sad about it. There's, I mean, I, I'm up at the hospital at, at both Levine and Hemby, you know, every month, um, every couple of weeks really. And I talk to the nurses on the regular and I'm like, I wish I could come back PRN and just help from time to time, but I know it's not humanly possible. <laughs> yeah, um, that would be a lot. So, um, wow. so anyway, it's, it's, I could not have written this path if you had asked me to 10 years ago, obviously, yeah. and had no idea that it would, um, that I would be where I am now. Yeah. Um, and that Claire's Army would be where it, where it is now. Emily and her family have had to face a lot of unexpected circumstances, and some of you may be facing unexpected circumstances right now. Uh, our health can be somewhat unpredictable, and so planning for healthcare costs is extremely important. We have learned so much from Dave Gebhardt and his associates at the Gebhardt Sleep Group of Baird Financial. He talks a lot about health spending accounts and flexible spending accounts and life insurance and protecting your family from the unexpected and figuring out how to handle the financial burden um, when the unforeseen comes about. And so we would encourage you to go ahead and reach out and ask your questions. What the heck is an HSA and how is it different from an FSA? (laughs) You know, seriously, these are questions that we all need to understand why would we want to choose this health insurance over this other offering over here? These are the questions that with no obligation, you can call or email Dave with. So please go ahead and do that. Look in our show notes and get in touch with Dave. I have this, I have this burning question um, as we kind of wrap up. I can't believe how quickly our time flew. I, I know. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I told you I could talk forever. Um, but I want to know, and we didn't prep you for this, so if you need to take a second to think about it, that's fine. But how, what, what has God revealed to you about himself through this whole process? Whatever step of the way that that, that might have happened, surely he's revealed something to you about who he is. Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. I mean... He's, he's just, he's big. That sounds so lame, but like, he's no. just, he's so much bigger than we can imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like I think about as a mom and as someone who's trying to do a gazillion things and feels like they don't do any of them well, I think about how overwhelmed I get. And I think, oh my gosh, he's got everyone <laughs> in his hands. Yeah. You know, like, 
you know, think about all the lists that we make to keep up with everything we need to do and think about and read and, and tasks and grocery lists. And it's like, and he's got it all, Yeah. you know? And, um, and while I'll, I, you know, I don't know if I'll get the chance to ask him hopefully in heaven, like why everything went that way it did with Claire, but I just, he's, he's been with us the whole time, you know? And, um, and, he showed himself through Claire. I mean, I think that's one of the things that was so hard is you think, gosh, when someone like her who is two, who is really, even though, yes, she sinned as a toddler in some way, but who truly loved people unconditionally and who had the biggest heart and who had faith like a child, why would you not want her here? Mm. You know, um, it's just so, it's still just so puzzling to me yeah, but it's confusing i'll never forget this um this very good friend of mine from the y he was always a close friend and um who came to work out and we always talked about family stuff and he always had such a strong faith and i remember when claire was diagnosed he was one of the first people to make contact to to remind me of our faith and remind me um to you know to, to stay true to it and he was the very first person i saw at her um, sir, at her service, we had hundreds and hundreds of people. He was the first person there, mm-hmm. and he was one of the first people to show up when I came back to work to say, "I'm here for you." And he was always so jovial and happy. And um, and I'll never forget when they were running in the, on the track at the Y, and he said, "You know, Emily, I know this is not what you want to think about, but you have to realize all of the people that have come to Christ and who are now learning about." Christ and Christianity and heaven and what it means to believe because of her and your family. Wow. And like, it made me mad at first. Cause I'm like, well, I want her here. Like, I don't care about yeah. <laughs> all those people. But when I think, gosh, I mean, to bring one, two, three more people into the faith so that, you know, they will, they will know him and, and know his kingdom. Um, and I think that that's like, that's part of her story, part of our story. It's kind of, kind of, kind of big, Yeah, you know? Um, and so I don't know if that really answers what he's revealed, but I just, I do know that he's, he's in this every step of the way. Um, That's right. You know, the night that, uh, the, um, the afternoon that before she passed away, one of the last things she did, she was getting ready to go down for a nap and our nurse practitioner and doctor were in the room and we were chatting and, I was kind of a little bit tearful and I tried not to cry in front of her, but she could hear it in my voice, even though I was kind of in another section of the room. And she's, she's like, mommy, you know, are you upset? Why are you crying? And I just said, Oh, I'm, I'm fine. I don't, I'm not crying. I think I just have something in my eye. And, and she's like, well, come here, let me get it for you. And she put her little fingers in my face and her eye. And she's, it's like, she just wanted me to be okay. Yeah. And that was the last thing she ever did. Because after that, she, fell asleep and then you know subsequently hours and hours later she went to be with jesus but it's like i'll never forget that gesture like here she is cancer everywhere in her body Mm. you know doesn't get to do the things normal kids get to do has not complained about a thing ever and she's worried about me and something i might have in my eye and i think Mm. you know like God is worried about all of our little things, the, the bigger to the littlest. And, and what a picture of Christ. You know, 
So, um, wow. I don't know. It's just uh, sometimes it's hard to kind of get all this stuff out because it's swirling in my head. And I've yeah, talked yeah. about it in different ways, but um, mm-hmm. but it's also I thank you for the chance to be able to share this because yes. um, again, as one of my counselors, Rebecca said, you know, this is a trauma, and the more that I'm able to talk about it with yes. people who really want to hear and want to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps, yeah, you know, sure. every single time. Yeah. And Emily, thank you so much for being so raw with us. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. Because I know as you were talking, you were giving voice to what someone out there is feeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I know that is such a powerful ministry to them. And yeah. so thank you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for yeah. doing this. Um, I just... You know, you just, you don't want anyone, I wish I could take away everyone's hurt, you know? Mm, Yeah. Um, And, you know, if anything that I say or that you guys are able to share that just removes one little ounce of pain or is worth it, you know? Um, It's, life can just be so heavy and, you know, he is there to lift our burdens and he does that through others and I just... I know we all have that ability to to lift a burden of someone else, and sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Small or big. So, well, well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking time oh, to you're talk so with welcome. us, and we'll be sure to make all the links in the show notes. You got it. You got it. Thank you guys for the chance, and um, I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful night. Thank you. What a powerful story of God's presence mm-hmm. in the midst of something that is really hard. Um, something that I was so grateful that Emily spoke about is the fact that grief doesn't stop, um, that it's a constant process and that God is still in the midst of it though. Um, and. I was just so, um, yeah, I was, I was feeling her, you know, her heartache, um, and just the emotion that was coming forward and her vulnerability was really, um, you know, really touching because even though it's, it has been, I think eight years or no, uh, seven years, Mm -hmm. I believe that, um, Claire hasn't been here, that Emily is still, present to the loss and and yet she's able to see God and acknowledge that God was there mm-hmm. and is still there. So um, I know for you listeners, that's, that is somebody needed to hear that today. Yeah. As Emily was sharing, I felt like she was giving voice to something that someone out there has been feeling and mm-hmm. wrestling with. Mm-hmm. And if that is you, and if this brought any encouragement please let us know because we would love to pass that along to Emily or reach out to her directly because to hear that her story has encouraged someone else, I know would be such a blessing to her. I know it encouraged me. Yeah. Um, So just reach out to us at hello at collectedworkshops.com and we'd love to, to hear part of your story as well. Have a great week. 
Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you would help spread the word. Check back here for weekly episodes dropping every Thursday. You can follow Collected on social media at Collected Workshops. The Collected Podcast is also on Patreon at patreon.com slash thecollectedpodcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Become a patron for as little as $1 a month to gain access to bonus content, early bird ticket sales, exclusive contests, and more. You can also find Tia at Tia McNelly Notes, Jess at Spreza Foundry, and Michaela at The Creative Space NC. Collected proudly supports and partners with Flourish Kenya, a nonprofit working to prevent and support unplanned adolescent pregnancy in rural Kenya. Learn more at flourishkenya.org. The Collected Podcast is brought to you by the Gebhardt Sleep Group at Baird Financial, delivering personalized financial advice that helps clients reach their long-term goals. Visit gebhardtsleepgroup.com or see our show notes for links and to learn more. The Collected Podcast is recorded and edited by Jacob Early. Music is by Asaf Alon.